0: God, it really does feel good to be in this place with your people, uh, worshiping you. And, and Lord, in the midst of all the distractions of life and all the things that we've had going on this week in our own personal lives, that God, we can come here tonight as the body of Christ, as your church, gather together and with one mind and one heart worship you and now talk intelligently and passionately about your word. So I pray, God, that as we do that, you might be pleased. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart, as Ephesians 1 says, so that we might know you and the hope to which we've been called. And I pray this in Christ's name, and we all say together, amen. So one of the things that I always hope whenever we do a series of messages like we're doing right now at our church is that it becomes a journey for us. It's really hard to do when you are only giving a 35, 40-minute talk every week and then you guys go out back into six other days and 23 and a half hours of your life or 22 and a half hours of your life. But my hope and prayer is that we journey together like we have been through whatever God's Word is guiding us in. And the reason I mention that is because when you think about it, the fruits of the Spirit, what we're looking at in this series, really have been designed and laid out in the scripture to be that kind of journey. That's why we had Matthew earlier kind of hammer home to us that we at least need to know the nine fruits if we're going to understand them as a whole and and then individually in our lives. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I hope at least by the end of this series, if nothing else, though we hope for much more, you understand that there are nine top things that God wants to do in you that you then might display to those around you, thus showing that you truly know Jesus and you really have the Holy Spirit uh, living inside of you. And and so last week, we were taking a look at the fruit of kindness. And you might remember that I started off by saying that it's the one fruit that we're going to take two weeks to look at. And the reason is, is because uh, there really is such richness and profundity to what the Bible says about kindness, and then I also joked that many of us need to spend two weeks on kindness uh, in our lives, and, and, and I do too. So real quick review of last week, and then we're going to uh, dive into this week. Last week, we opened up that Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, say it with me kindness. And then we defined kindness, and we defined it this way, that kindness is a tangible expression of love. That was really important, that kindness is a subset of love. It's how we show love to those around us. But kindness from a biblical standpoint is tangible in nature. It flows from one person to another, and it's something substantive that flows from one person to another and you might remember that i told you from a biblical perspective that there are two distinct types of kindness that the bible lays out and it was here we did a second thing last week and that is that we introduced the first type of kindness and we called it physical kindness and we noted that physical kindness is the kind that most all of us are familiar with it's simply whenever we do acts of kindness to to another person actually doing something good and kind to those around them. So I gave the example of saying giving up your first class airline seat to somebody back in steerage would be a kind thing to do uh, to somebody around you. And we listed a bunch of other things that are acts of kindness actually doing good to those around us. And this is what most people think of when they think of kindness. And surely spirit-filled Christians should be the ones leading the way on this. But then I ended last week by telling you that there was another expression of kindness that the Bible talks about. And it's funny because some people tried to guess it. They sent me emails this week saying, it's this, it's that. One guy said, it's generosity. I know you're going to talk about money and giving and generosity. And I thought, nah, that would have been a good idea. But no, that's not what it is because I'm sticking very closely to what the Bible says. And the Bible talks about another type of kindness that I'm going to warn you is the kind that many people struggle with today, even many well-meaning Christians, because it's more difficult for us, this type of kindness. It's even more elusive in our lives, and it's what we're going to call relational kindness. Some of you didn't guess correctly. Uh, Relational kindness. Simply put, this is the type of kindness that reveals itself in how we interact, with those around us, how we treat them on a relational level in both verbal and nonverbal ways. So check this out. Whether we do anything or not for someone, this is a form of kindness that presents itself in a relational casting. It shows itself through how you and I interact organically and personally with people around them and in that rubric, how we treat them. As my friend Larry Crabb would say, it's putting Christ on display in the way that we relate to others. That's relational kindness. And what you need to know, gang, is that this is all over the Bible. That when you do an in-depth study of the topic of kindness in the Bible, what jumps off the pages is physical kindness, what we looked at last week, but then about another half of the usages of kindness can only be seen in this realm of relational kindness. Let me show you what I mean. In Romans 2, verse 4, as it talks about God's salvific relationship with us in Jesus, it says it this way. It says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness or the kindness of God leads you to repentance? And now, think about it with me. Tolerance and patience we all know our relational traits. They're the building blocks of how you and I treat people in our lives, and they're the building blocks, the Bible is telling us here, of how God treats us in Jesus, even in our fallen, sinful condition. He is, he is tolerant and patient with us. And notice that given those two relational traits, it is linked here to kindness. That's really important for you to see. It's this relational kindness of God paired with tolerance and patience that provides the impetus and motivation for you and I to finally repent and turn to Jesus for salvation. That's what this passage is saying. So simply note here that God is kind to you and me on a relational level, and it's this relational kindness, the Bible says, that is even the impetus for you and I to be saved and come to Jesus in the first place. And we're just getting ramped up. You see, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 11 is saying the same thing when it says this, using, again, the Old Testament word for kindness. It says the Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in loving, say it with me, kindness. He isn't going to always strive with us, nor will he, he, he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. So what is this passage saying? It's saying that God shows shows patience, and I'm sorry, shows kindness to us here. But it's a kindness that isn't that physical kindness that we looked at last week, which, as we showed from the Old Testament, would be God giving us rain or good crops or doing something kind to us. No, it's not that at all. If you were looking closely here, this is a relational kindness that God demonstrates here, the kind in which he says, I'm not going to lose my anger with you, and I'm not going to lash out in vengeance to you. See, that's a relational casting that God puts kindness in here. And so this is why when we then read Ephesians 4, verse 32, and now it's applied to us, it says this. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Again, there's nothing in Ephesians 4, here about physical kindness. That's really important for you to see. There's no acts of kindness being described here. No, in this context, it's a kindness that presents itself in being tender to one another, in forgiving one another. It's a relational kindness that's being talked about. Are you starting to see that there's a type of kindness that the Bible describes that goes deeper and richer than the physical type acts of kindness that many of us think of? There's a type of kindness that doesn't just buy flowers or hold the door open or serve in a soup kitchen or even give up your first-class airline ticket for somebody back in coach. As good as those things are, but there's a type of kindness that listens to another person. It dials into their heart. It shares words of affirmation and encouragement to them. It even shares hard-hitting truth at times with them, and it forgives wrongdoing. You see, these are still tangible expressions of love that we give to one another. It's just that they are relational expressions of love. And it's the kind of love, and it's the reason many Christians kind of fear this, that isn't afraid of intimacy and the tenderness that all this involves. You see, it's a whole different kind of kindness that's being presented here in the Bible. And here's the linchpin of this. It's the kindness that Jesus came to us with. Titus three verse four says that that when the appearing of the Savior came, He appeared in kindness, and that's an interesting phrase—that the kindness of God appeared in Jesus. And I've always wondered exactly what does that mean. Well, I think seeing kindness in relational terms helps us understand this, because you think of all the different interactions that Jesus had with people on Earth, and weren't they all about relational kindness, or at least the vast majority of them? The woman caught in adultery. The woman at the well. Zacchaeus climbing a tree. Matthew at the tax collector's booth. Peter when he denied Jesus. I mean, think of all the stories that you and I learned in Sunday school. Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. All of these relational interactions have to do with kindness. And Jesus entering in relationally to people around them and then touching their very soul with words and emotions, a heart-to-heart connection with them that did nothing but reveal God to them. This is the expression of kindness that's being talked about here. It's relational kindness, and it's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I was putting my sermon together this week, I thought, you know, at this point, more than anybody else, I know what some of us are thinking, and you're thinking, man, this is a really difficult type of kindness. Are you thinking that yet? I am. I mean, honestly, if you were to poll me today and say, Jamie, which is easier for you to do, to do an act of kindness towards somebody or to actually enter in richly, relationally with them and demonstrate relational kindness, I'd rather do a kind act for you any day. And it's not because I don't love you, it's just that I know how to do an I can buy flowers. Can you buy flowers? I can hold the door open for somebody. Push, comes to shove. I can even give up my first class seat and sit for two hours back in an 18-inch seat. I can do that. But to have to, to get messy and get right up front with you and look you in the eye and have a spiritual conversation with you in which I think more about you than me. And I look deep in your soul and try to figure out what God is doing and how I can love you on a relational level. I go, yikes, I'm out of my league on that one. And this is why, at least for me, I say there's some of the fruits of the Spirit that I do well, and there's some that I don't. And I've been very honest with you guys that when it comes to joy, patience, and now kindness in my flesh, in my natural fallen self, I, I don't know if I got it in me. And I was a psychology major when I was an undergrad. I, I just don't know I have any... And this is why what Matthew said earlier, and I keep hammering this home to our staff all week long in this series. This is why what Matthew said earlier is so important. you got to take the pressure off yourself because this isn't the fruit of you that we're talking about. This is not a to-do list for Maddie. This is not a to-do list for Janelle. This is is God saying, this is what I want to do in you. I I, I want to give this fruit to you. I, I, I want to give you love, joy, peace, patience. Now say it with me. Kindness both in physical acts and now in relational. And I'm going to do it so much in you that it's going to leak out to those around you. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is about. So to help us put feet to this aspect of kindness and even see what it looks like and might involve as you and I walk with the Spirit, I want to wrap up in the uh, 20-so minutes that we have before we go to our Elder Fund offering and talk very practically about kindness in light of three major relational areas of our lives. And then we're going to wrap up With a note on how this actually becomes the Spirit's activity, not just our own. So, first, let me talk to you about kindness and relational kindness in light of marriage. In light of marriage, this might blow you away. There was a study done a couple of years back by one of the world's leading researchers on marital relationships, a guy by the name of John Gottman from the Gottman Institute. And in an article that appeared in the Atlantic, the author shared that Gottman has noted that the number one factor that tears couples apart is not financial problems, as some people think. It's not adultery, as many people try to argue. You know, the number one problem that tears couples apart in marriage is contempt. It's contempt. And in fact, listen to what this article says in light of Gottman's research. It says contempt is the number one factor that tears couples apart. People who are focused on criticizing their partners miss a whopping 50% of positive things that their partners are doing, and they see negativity when it's just not there. It goes on to say people who give their partner the cold shoulder, deliberately ignoring the partner or responding minimally, damage the relationship by making their partner feel worthless and invisible, as if they're not there, not valued. It says that people who treat their partners with contempt and criticize them not only kill the love in the relationship, but they also kill their partner's ability to fight viruses and cancers. And then I love how this quote ends. It says, being mean is the death knell of relationships. You see, many people think that financial problems is the biggest problem in marriage, or adultery is the biggest problem in marriage, or a rebellious kid is the biggest problem in marriage. Reality a study shows it's not. It's how we treat each other in marriage despite our circumstances, and contempt leads the way. But look at how this article would go on to say it positively. It says, kindness, on the other hand, glues couples together. Research, independent from theirs, the Gottmans, has shown that kindness is one of the most important predictors of satisfaction and stability in a marriage. Kindness makes each partner feel cared for, understood, validated, even to feel loved. When I read that in my study, I thought that just makes so much sense to me. I mean, it really does. That something simple, Like relational kindness, I mean, quite frankly, just not being mean is one of the glues that God would use, because it is one of the fruits of his spirit, to make marriage work. Could it be that this is why Peter says this in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2? See now if you can read something into this that just might help you understand marriage better. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, meaning they're wretches who aren't Christians, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to her. So you have respect and pure conduct and living with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. Tell me if this isn't true, gang. These are all relational things being talked about here. Give me a head nod that you all understand that. I mean, this is relational kindness that Peter is talking about here that will almost divorce-proof your marriage. And what I need to add at this point, because some of you are wondering what does relational kindness in marriage really look like, I need to add that this doesn't simply mean always saying complimentary and nice things to each other, though that is important. But I think more, what this is getting at is learning to listen and to respond to the heart of your mate in such a way that you think beneath even the words that he or she say to you, beneath all the surfacey stuff, and try to understand his or her very soul and even what the Spirit of God might be doing between the two of you. This takes for your work, which is why, again, it's not for the faint-hearted, but it means entering richly into the messiness of relationality and entering into that famous tunnel of chaos, and wading through all the flesh in you and the flesh in your spouse and getting to the heart of who they are in Christ, who God has made them to be, and what the Spirit is up to in your marriage. And it takes selflessness and love and faith in Christ and listening. It takes relational kindness for this to work. I've been doing something in this series that um, many of you seem to be responding to, and it's, it's almost humorous to me. I've been, uh, more than most usual series, I've been kind of sharing some more self-revealing illustrations in this series. You know, when I do that, everybody comes up to me afterwards and goes, oh, that was just such a great story, Jamie, thanks for sharing that, you know, and, and I think to myself, well, if my pain and failure helps you, then I guess I'll just keep sharing that, you know, because that's kind of what's happening in this, but... I asked Kim if I could share something about our early days in marriage and one of the huge lessons we learned here, and she said yes. And this is a true story. You're going to think I'm making this up. I'm not. It was about 1993, 94, and, and actually 94, 95, so almost 20 years ago now. And Kim and I um, were living in Detroit. We had three young babies, and uh, you know, it was a stressful time in our marriage. And we were very young. And, and trying to figure out who we were in Christ and what the ministry is about and what our relationship is about. We'd been married probably eight or nine years. And, and, and at one point, Kim was really going through some identity issues. And uh, we had just started a counseling center at our church in Detroit. And we had hired this top notch therapist. I had hired him, I was the executive pastor, and hired this top notch therapist who had studied under Larry Crabb, got his master's degree in counseling, it was state certified, really good. And I said to Kim, you know, I can get you in to see this dude. I'm his boss, and I don't even think we'd have to pay for it. So, you know, why don't we uh, have you see him? And so I remember the night that Kim went out, and she, was, she went to see this, this therapist. And I stayed home, obviously, to watch the children. And I'll never forget this night. It was raining cats and dogs in Detroit. And uh, she called me. Uh, cell phones had just come out. She called me from her phone after the appointment, and she was sobbing uncontrollably. And I said, what's going on? And she could barely get the words out. She's sobbing. And I said, where are you? And I, she, she told me she was in a parking lot, parked there on Mack Avenue in Detroit. And, and I said, what are you doing there? And, and I could barely understand what she was saying. I got a neighbor to come watch the kids. I jumped in my car, and I, I drove to her. And I can still picture it in my mind's eye, the, her car sitting there in this parking lot. And so I got out in the rain, and I jumped in the passenger seat of her car. And she's still all upset, and I... And I said, "Honey, just calm down." I said, I, I, w- w- "What happened?" I said, w- w- "What's going on?" She's through sobs, saying, I I, "I, I, 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 I know what the problem is in, in, in our marriage. I, I, I know what's wrong." And I said, "What?" And she goes, "You." I'm. And she goes, "You. You are the problem." And I'm telling you, my very first thought was, "That dude is fired." I mean whether he's right or wrong, I mean, men right? What an idiot. I mean you you don't see your boss's wife in counseling and then tell her that the boss yeah, that's just not even smart. So the guy's discernment obviously was lacking. Uh but but I, I had a guys, I I had a I had a a a a I had to do something there. And you know, a statement like that might make some people defensive, amen? Um but I, I, I was growing and I and I was spirit filled and so I said to her right then I remember saying it I said tell me more I I, I think I understand what you're saying but tell me more and she said, well, I, I, I just realized that, you know, you're controlling. He asked about you, you're controlling, and, and, and you're angry at times, and, 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 and you don't always treat me well, and, 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 and so I feel sometimes beaten down, and, and I have this identity crisis, and I don't know who I am, and I hate being stuck home with the kids, and, and, and I have trouble loving, and all these things. And, she goes, and, I, and he just basically said that if you loved me, none of that would happen. And I thought, okay, he's an idiot. I thought, you know. And I had a real moment in time there, and it was really a turning point for our marriage. I looked at Kim, I said, let's slow down and talk about this. And again, it was relational kindness at work. I said, first, I want to tell you something, and that's that out of all the things that you just said about me, I agree with every one of them. I said, I stand convicted. I am angry. I got father issues. I was in therapy myself. I said, um, I, I, I'm a controller. I actually paid to do that at the church, but I'm a controller. And, 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 and I said, and everything you just said, I'm guilty of. I said, but, 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 just so that we don't make this a one-sided issue, I said, um, I think that your emptiness and your profound sadness, because I had heard her heart men, your emptiness and your profound sadness isn't just about me. I said, I'm willing to journey with you and find out to what degree it is about me and I'm going to do my best to change and repent because I love you more than life itself. I said, but I, I don't think it's just about me. I said, I don't mean to offend you, but I've met your dad. And I said, and he makes me look like Gandhi. I said, you know, I, I don't think that, that, that you escaped, you know, a dysfunctional family. And then I said this to her, and I said, you know what else, honey? I said, I think that if I was not even in the picture of your life, you have it in your natural flesh to be miserable all on your own. I said, I really do. And I said, I'm not saying that I haven't contributed to it. I'm not saying that I haven't triggered things. I'm not even saying that I'm not perfect. I said, but I really believe if you and I are gonna journey together for the rest of our lives, we need to explore this and make our marriage a, a wonderful adventure of honest, open communication, even inviting other couples in to to see where we're in denial about these things. I gotta tell you, it was a moment in time for Kim and I. I mean, she wasn't like changed men in that moment. She didn't say, ah, you're such a great counselor. She didn't say that at all. She was processing, she was thinking about that stuff. And my point in telling you that story is that Kim would look back on that moment and say it was probably one of the most kind experiences, exchanges that I ever had with her. Because I didn't allow myself to get defensive. I cared more about her soul than my own. And it would not, I mean, again, believe it not, men, there was a part of me, and again, we're all tempted, only men will get this. There was a part of me that that just to keep peace that night wanted to say, you're right. You're right, it's all me. I'm an idiot, I stand convicted, I, I will take full responsibility for this. And I thought, but would that have helped my wife? Would that have helped her be the mature woman of God that she had already in many ways become and that I knew she wanted to become? I I don't think it would have. But it was gonna take a non-defensive, other-centered, pouring into this woman with everything that God has put into me and then spend years listening to her and her heart, which I'm still learning to do, in order for kindness to affect our marriage. That, That was a turning point For us. In his book, Tender Warrior, Stu Weber says that the four roles of a man, now watch this, men, are this. We are to be a protector, a provider, a mentor, and a friend to our wives. And you know what the problem is with that? Is that most men today are really good at being protectors and providers. We are. You come at my wife, you gotta come through me. This is Arizona. I got two handguns. I'm gonna protect this woman. And providing for it, I take that very seriously too. I mean, she's my bride. I love her to death. I promise to that. I will provide for her. But tell me if this is true, man, to be a mentor and a friend to your wife, a partner, as the Bible would say, a co-heir of life, that's a tall order. And without relational kindness, you will never learn what that means. The heart of relational kindness in marriage Where you share heart to heart, words and emotions, intimacy that really takes you deep, comes when we allow the Spirit to work in us, relationally kind to our spouses. And then I want you to think of another area where this really can be shy, where the Spirit can shine through us. I want you to think of your work there was an eye-opening study completed in 2013 by the Harvard Business Review, this is an amazing study, in which they, for 14 years, polled thousands of workers in the marketplace on one issue, and that is, how do you feel treated on the job? And stunningly, 98% of workers polled during this 14-year study said that in those 14 years 90 percent said they had experienced some form of workplace incivility in the last few years on their job and over half of them cited that once a week they experienced being treated rudely on their job and it's only getting worse from 1998 to 2001 there was a hundred percent increase with workplace incivility uh, according to this study. I think this is what Lev has led Dave Barry to say this. Uh, Dave Barry's a humorist and a columnist. He says, a person who is nice to you but rude to the waiter is not a nice person. Because you see many people are on their best behavior at church. Many people, if they're your friend, are gonna be somewhat nice to you. But, but watch sometimes how they treat the waiter. That's gonna show whether or not they're really a nice person. Because most people at work get beat up on a weekly level. Here's my point. We as spirit-filled Christ followers have an incredible opportunity to demonstrate what Christ-like relational kindness looks like in an environment where the studies show people don't see it all that often. As Larry Crab would say, we have the opportunity to put Christ on display in the way that we relate to others at work and when we are at their work. But we really do. And though it might seem small, I'm telling you, it's powerful when it happens. I was a waiter for two years back when I was in seminary and studying for the ministry. And during those two years, I learned so much about the service profession. I really did. That when you're in a profession that serves others, and even serves others that quite frankly might make a lot more money than you, uh, you are very sensitive to how you're treated by people. And as a result of that now, I got to tell you, my antennas, that's one of the areas I'm strong in, are always, always up whenever, whenever I'm at a restaurant and, and being served by a waiter or a waitress. Even today, I was meeting a friend for lunch. We had a big event here at the church, and I had a friend friend from out of town, and we met at lunch. And I got to tell you, every time the waitress came by, we were at this fancy restaurant at one of the resorts, every time this waitress came by, I actually would pause my conversation with my friend, and we were into some really deep stuff, and I would look her in the eye and say, thank you, thank you for doing that. And at the end of it, what did I leave? A good old big 10% tip. No, I left a lot higher than that. Because the reality is it seems like such a small thing. But, you know, um, not always. Sometimes I use my personal card, but many times if it's a church-related thing, you know what that credit card says on it? Pastor Jamie Rasmussen. And right underneath it, Scottsdale Bible Church. And so they're going to see that they were serving a pastor, a Christian, even this particular church. And even in small ways like that, uh, they're used to people not being kind. You never know what God will do. That I, I was out on the golf course. Of, I'm making it sound like I have a really easy life. I don't. These are bad <laughs> illustrations. But I was on the golf course a couple weeks ago and golfing with some some friends. And one of the guys in our foursome wasn't a believer. In fact, he was antagonistic to Christian things. And the guys with me warned me about it. I think they were afraid I was going to like you know say, Hey, dude, you don't go to church. Uh, you know, hell's a long time to burn and things like that. And so I, which I would never do, you know. And so. Um, I, I, I just I, I love this guy. I, I love meeting him. I, he, he's a physician up in the Bay Area, you know. So I was asking about his life. I was asking about things. I mean, what was I doing? just being relationally kind with him? Wasn't pushy or anything like that? Isn't it amazing how God works? I, I wondered at the end of our time, you know, if I shouldn't have been more pushy. Right? Because, you know, I mean, honestly, a lot does hang in the balance. And so I thought, you know, maybe I should like grab four golf balls and say, how many golf balls do I have? Oh, that reminds me of four spiritual laws, you know, and (laughs) does something like that. I mean, I I could have done what some of you do and and not. But I I thought, no, I'm just going to be really loving, kind, and other centered with him. You you know what happened that night? My friend texted me. They were in from out of town. He said, You're not going to believe the conversation we just had tonight with this guy. They said he started off the conversation by saying, I've never been with a pastor who is like the pastor you have at that church. He said he wasn't pushy, he he seemed to care about me, and he seemed somewhat normal, which I don't know what that means about the pastor, but he said, and and from that conversation, my friends were able to have the most rich spiritual conversation with this dude, And, and I just sat there and marveled at that, and I said, well, maybe that's how God works, amen? I mean, I'm just a link in the chain. So are you. And sometimes we're really kind. We're really loving at work. And we think, ah, eh, well, you know, everybody's kind. No, everybody's not. And everybody's not other-centered. Not everybody really takes an interest in those around them. But when you and I, fueled by the Spirit, caring for another person's soul, do that, you have no idea what God might do with that. I, I get surprised by joy on a regular basis with that. I, I got to tell you, this was funny. There's a, uh, there's a rabbi... Who uh, goes around the country, Rabbi Joseph Telushkin. He's an author of the book Words That Hurt, Words That Heal and he lectures throughout the country uh, on the impact of negative words and in his seminar he does something I thought was really funny. In his seminar he, he says to people I want you to raise your hand if you're the type of person who can go 24 hours without saying anything unkind about another person. And he actually pulls them. I'm not going to do it with you guys right now, but he, you know, raise your hand if you can go to it. And, and as you can imagine, there are some in the audience that raise their hand. And, and, saying, and then there's many people who cannot raise their hand, that, that, that every 24 hours they, they can avoid saying it, something unkind. Listen to how he responds to that. He says, those of you who, answer, who can't answer yes to this question must recognize that you have a serious problem. He says, if you can't go 24 hours without drinking booze, you're addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. So if you can't go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you're just addicted to meanness. And he's right. Imagine if every spirit-filled Christ follower regularly went 24 hours without saying anything unkind to or about another person. In the world that we live in, that would be a game changer in how people might be drawn to God. And then a third thing, very quickly, we have just about three or four minutes left, is church. I know I don't need to say much here, but the reality is is that you and I do have the opportunity every single week or however often you meet with other Christians to demonstrate kindness. One of my favorite verses that you might know from your... Verse memory days, because we teach this verse to our kids, is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, the day of Jesus Christ's return uh, uh, approaching. And the reality is, is you and I have the wonderful opportunity to practice every week, every time we get with other believers uh, to this idea of spiritual kindness. Now, last thought. I know what some of you think thinking right now. You're thinking, Jamie, okay, I get it, I get it. Yeah, we need to be relationally kind, but it's really, really hard, and it is. In fact, I'm gonna tell you right now how hard it is. Outside of the Spirit of God, indwelling you and working in and through you, most of you will never be kind to the degree that God wants you to. In other words, you just can't. Look at how the Bible puts this. This is a great verse. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 12. It says, all. I looked at that word in the Greek. You know what it means? Say it with me. All. All All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It's a quote right from the Old Testament. Now, it's not saying that you're incapable of doing any good without God. Don't read it that way. What it's saying is, now think about this with me, that when it comes to the level of good that God would want to merit salvation in him, you can't have it, which is why we need Christ, which is why we need his forgiveness, which is why we need his blood to cover our sin. That's what this passage is setting up here. But even once you are a Christian, God knows that the only way you can do a level of good that will make a dent is because of His Spirit now empowering you in your life. And the key to the Holy Spirit's empowerment in your life is for you to depend upon Him each moment of each day and to depend upon Jesus Christ to literally be your empowerment, to be your kindness. For you and through you each day. Skip forward to Galatians, uh, the the Galatians passage. Here we go. Galatians 2.20. It says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So so Jesus Christ says he resides in the soul, the very life of those who believe and trust in him. And then other scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit now resides in us well and becomes our empowerment. But but, but what activates that? What empowers us now that that's true for us? It's faith. And, And so I spend much of my day, gang, I'm just telling you this, that when I... Fail and I fail all the time. I wrote two apology letters just this week to people. When I fail in my life, do you know what I do? I just start breathing prayers left and right and say, Oh God, I did it again. I did it again. My wife's mad at me, and Daryl's mad at me, and the kids are mad at me because I I, I fail. And usually I fail at the fruit of the spirit level. And, And I failed again. And I say, Oh God, Make me the man you want to be. me to be. Help me to be more kind. Help me to be more patient. Help me to be more loving. And even in desperate moments, I'll say, God, I don't even have it in me. Be my kindness. Be my patience. Be my love through me. And it's amazing what God does as a result of that. So here's your take-home point. Here's the way I would put it in take-home point form. And that is if you have trouble with being kind, go to God. Because, again, it's his fruit It's his spirit working in you. This is not your to-do list. It's his to-do list in you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that um, you come to us and meet us as we are, even as well-meaning followers of your son Jesus or maybe even seekers here tonight. And God, you speak to us, life-giving words, holy words of how we can know and follow you. And God, we're turning up the heat in this series when it comes to things like dependence and faith and knowledge because, God, these are the top nine things you want us to display to a world that doesn't know you. And so, God, I pray that as we think about these things for our life now, as we go into our last song of worship, as we go from here in a few minutes, God, that that you would help us, Lord, on two levels. One, to be the kind of people that monitor our level of kindness, both physically and relationally with those around us. And then, Lord, as we do that, may we depend, depend, depend upon your Spirit and your Son who lives inside us who believe. Do this in us, we pray. Work this fruit in us, we pray. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.